Welcome to the Abundant Wellness with Andrea podcast from surviving to thriving in mind, body, and spirit. Hey there, I'm Andrea Jones, registered nurse, functional hormone coach, inner healing and deliverance pastor, and most importantly, wife and mother of two beautiful girls. This podcast is really a conversation about how to discover and walk in an abundant life that God has laid out for us while processing what I call the messy middle, pain and overcoming things in our life that are hard in order to nurture all of the parts of you so that you can walk in abundant wellness in all areas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Abundant Wellness Podcast. Today, we have the immense privilege of having Richard Carey, a licensed professional counselor, counseling supervisor. Um, Did I get it right? That's right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, With Living Well Tyler in Tyler, Texas. So thank you so much, Richard. Um, I know we've been playing uh, text tag for the last couple of months to get you on here. Um, and I'm just excited to have this conversation. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we could make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know you've got a busy schedule, so we will we will just dive right in. But I kind of just wanted to preface this conversation and talking about like mental health in the church and creating a healthy culture that allows for these kind of conversations that our heart is not to say like, we're not telling you to leave the church. We are not telling you to leave your church community. We are not telling you to have bad thoughts about your church. We are just wanting to have a dialogue about really how we can do this better. Um, I lead a ministry at our local church and I have no plan or desire to leave um, the church. I see the need for having these conversations and I want to create safety around, uh, these conversations. So would you mind sharing a little bit about your, your background in the church and then kind of what led you to counseling and we can kind of dive in from there? Sure. Yeah. So I actually grew up in a, in a non, I say, you know, quote unquote, non-believing home, was not raised in the church. Uh, went to church a handful of times as a kid with my family. We weren't even like the Christer people, Christmas Easter people. <laughs> like we would okay. just show up at <laughs> random times. And uh, in high school, a buddy of mine, uh, he and I, we had dates for homecoming. Our dates were good friends. He was like, "Hey, let's just all go together. You can stay at my place, and we'll go to church the next day." And I was like, "All right, that's fine," you know. And that was really my introduction into really consistently going. His family really invested in my life. Um, Literally every Sunday, they would pick me up for church, take me to lunch, wow. take me home, and just um, cared for me, poured into me. And about a about six months into going um, was when I finally placed my faith in Jesus for salvation. That was my sophomore year of high school. Wow. And pretty quickly, like by senior year, I I'd felt like I was being, quote unquote, called to ministry. It was something mm. that I just felt compelled to do. And a big part of that was just the impact um, that a guy named Bobby Stevenson had in my life. Um, Bobby was a volunteer at the church and then later became a staff member, but just really invested, poured into me, discipled me. And so, yeah, so my senior year, I knew, man, I'm, I'm going towards ministry. And so because of that, I uh, chose to go to Washtenaw Baptist University in Arkansas, just really because I was going, I, I don't know even like the basic stories from the Bible. And I want to yeah. really learn like, what is all this stuff and how does it work together? And and so went into went into college thinking I'm going to do ministry. And so sophomore year of college, uh, applied to be a 
part-time youth pastor at a small church in a small town in Arkansas and took that summertime job as a full-time job during the summer, part-time in the school year. And that was my first really introduction into vocational ministry and uh, had a good time in that position. Saw a lot of kids come to know Jesus and a lot of kids baptized, but this is kind of where what you're saying a minute ago, where my story begins to intersect even what we're talking about today. Uh, so was on staff there and it didn't end well. Um, basically got, I basically got fired and mm. through just my own um, research found that the pastor was giving me reasons for, for letting me go that actually weren't true. Mm. And so it ended up being like my first introduction to church hurt of like, mm. Oh, this, this stings like someone who's a believer has hurt me, has wronged me. And uh, took about a year out of ministry uh, worked at Ruby Tuesday as a server and nice. about a year later, yeah, went back on staff at another church in Arkansas, eventually led me to Tyler, Texas, which is where I met my wife initially. So 2007 is when I moved here and, uh, met her in 08. And while we were dating, this is kind of get transitioning to, to counseling. So while we were dating, I was starting to reconsider my future. I'd been doing student ministry for about eight years and kind of going, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, how long I want to do this anymore. And she was like, have you ever thought about being a counselor? And I was like, actually I have. And so when I moved to Dallas in 09 to marry her, um, started grad school for, for counseling and, and really thought I'm going private practice. I'm going private practice. As soon as I graduate, I'm going to be in that for the rest of my, my rest of my career. But in 2011, I uh, got a, um, had a conversation with a friend on staff at the church we were attending. And he was like, dude, I've got an intern position. I'd love for you to fill it and at least just do it until you finish school. And it was a way for me to make money. So I jumped into it. Uh, so I was in school part-time at the church, part-time at a private practice counseling site that ended up offering me a full-time gig. Oh. And I took it initially again, was planning to transition to full-time counseling and after I accepted the role, some things began to shift and change in the practice. And we were pregnant with our middle son, Roman. And I was just like, I don't think I want to spend my nights and weekends in this office. And so when the church yeah. found out, the church was like, hey, can we offer you a full-time job where you're doing counseling 10 hours a week and you're a pastor the other 30? And so I took it. That was 2013 and wow. stayed on there until we moved to Tyler in 2021. So uh kind of played both those roles of doing uh, pastoral stuff throughout the week, 30 hours a week, counseling 10. And then once I got my license, I went 40 hours of the church and still maintained a, a part-time private practice. And so that's, that's wow. really the transition. And in 2021, we moved to Tyler to go on staff at Living Well, both of us. And that's when I really stepped into full-time counseling was in 2021. So that's amazing. And yeah, there's a lot of overlap there, which mm -hmm. I love um, because there's actually, there's a couple books that I've read. One of them is uh, Danny Silk's book on Pathway to Powerful, which if you have not read it and you're a leader, it will be one of the most challenging leadership books mm -hmm. you ever read because uh, it really challenges some of these uh, systems that we have in place Mm -hmm. in the church that are not super healthy. And sure. one of the things that he challenges the church to have is an on-staff counselor, which sure. is not always something that is within the budget to do. And I fully sure. understand that, but I, I can see how 
having that is a huge asset mm-hmm. um, for a couple of reasons. One, as a pastor, you're hearing everybody's mental everything yep. all the time. Yep. It's a heavy load to carry. And when we don't have, uh, maybe we don't have coping skills ourselves, mm-hmm. or we don't have good boundaries around what we're hearing coming, you know, from parents all the, you know, all the way up, you know, children all the way up um, that in itself can lead pastors into burnout. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this kind of, you know, bridges the, or I guess creates a little bit of a bridge into the conversation of, you know, what are some of the, what are some of the things that people bring to you as a counselor that maybe they're not comfortable or safe enough, truly, like, because sometimes churches are not safe mm-hmm. for these conversations. We want to be though. Um, and so what are some of the things that people are bringing to you as a counselor that they don't feel comfortable or safe enough to bring maybe to their lay pastor? Um, does that make sense? I don't know if that sure. question yeah. makes sense. No, but... it totally makes sense. And I think, yeah, and a little bit is tricky for me to answer because of my, because of the overlap in my career, right? Even when I was uh, finishing that full-time position in Dallas before we moved here uh, because I had played the role of counselor on that staff and really was, was asked to shepherd the, even our, our church staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I heard a lot of it. So I don't, yeah. for me, I don't know that I know the, the total difference between what they sure. hear and what I hear now. Right. But what I can tell you, I was, I was actually talking to our counseling team about me joining you on your podcast and was getting some of their insight and, one of the things that we can all resonate with is that we have all heard the line before all of our counseling team. I've heard the line before. I've never shared this with anyone until now. Yep. I mean, every single one of us have, have been able to say, we've had a client say to us, no one else knows this. Yeah. I think those, those areas of life are probably the ones that we would all probably think of. Right. I think there is, um, trauma right and then underneath that category we can get into everything anything uh, and everything sexual yeah. trauma we can get into emotional or physical abuse um i think a lot of that uh when it comes to like protecting the family that of origin i don't know that we hear a lot of that in the church world mm-hmm. in the counseling world i get a lot of clients who go i need to tell you this about my family but i feel bad yeah. talking about them Mm-hmm. So I would say trauma, sexual, emotional, physical abuse. I think another big one, because I'm in the Bible Belt, right, is mm-hmm. what we've kind of already hinted at is church hurt. Yep. Right. I, I don't know that yep. a lot of people are going back to their churches saying, hey, this is how I've been wounded as a as a part of this community. And so I do get to hear those stories. In fact, one of uh, my colleagues and I actually just led a group for 10 weeks in the fall on church hurt and, and had the same heartbeat mm-hmm. that you, you shared earlier. It was never about, we're talking bad about churches or getting people right. to leave their, their community. It, it was actually more like, Hey, once this is all done, we're, we're trying to encourage you to be a part Reconcile. of the group. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, but those are probably the big areas I'd say just the trauma and all the subheadings from there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, with, uh, there's like so many different ways we could go with that, but mm-hmm. But within it, it's one of the things that I hear because I do our inner healing ministry. And so people come in for inner healing prayer times and I'm, you know, my, and myself and my team are usually the ones that we're hearing that because we are in a, in a space where counsel is allowed. Now I'm not, I'm not a licensed counselor. That's very clear on all of our forms. You know, I'm not in a position of counseling, 
but we do end up hearing the things mm -hmm. that they don't feel comfortable enough saying to their pastor. Like I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with depression. I actually, yeah. um, this is not like a published study and it's not nearly big enough to be a published study, but you can see this in like um, the National Institute of Mental Health, like all of those places that I did a poll where I was basically asking, did, do you feel safe enough to tell your pastor, your small group leader, whoever that you feel like the most connected to in your church community uh, when you're struggling? A hundred percent of them said no, a hundred percent. And that's all the way to the top, meaning yep. the pastors, the leaders, the uh, the lay staff, like none of them feel safe enough. And that to me tells me that we still have a significant amount of work to do when it comes to pastoring people well. Um, I think that we have to become unafraid of the conversations around mental health because anybody can struggle with anxiety. Anybody can struggle with depression. Uh, you know, there's there's a huge spectrum within that. So since you've kind of lived in both worlds, you've been a counselor on staff and you're also a counselor, you know, in a I don't know if it's a secular place, but I would imagine it's not strictly Christian. Um, how do you um, how do you help people to navigate that? disconnect where it's like, I don't feel safe enough. Do you spend some time kind of diving in with them on what are the, what are the things that are cueing the lack of safety for you? Because for me, I've been in that position where I felt like I couldn't tell people I'm struggling with postpartum depression it has nothing to do with my spiritual wholeness it has everything to do with a hormonal imbalance, right? That I can't at this, you know, that point in time, I couldn't control, sure. but I didn't feel safe enough to talk to people because the, the, um, uh, what I was told was just pray more, like just turn on worship music, just pray more. Mm -hmm. Right. And those things can actually be really, really harmful to tell people mm -hmm. that are struggling. So when you're kind of helping, I know this is a loaded question, but like <laughs> when you're helping somebody navigate that, how do you help them to recognize what what the level of safety actually is in their environment. Cause I think recognizing that is actually a really big deal. Sure. Well, and I want to say something, uh, comment about even a minute ago is, uh, I saw a study today. It was a guy named Anthony Bradley. I follow him on Twitter. He's a professor in the Northeast. Uh, he he made the comment that college campuses have basically become new mental health institutions. And the reason mm -hmm. he said that was because since 2010, there's been 130, I think it's 134% increase in anxiety in college students, over 100% increase in depression. And then there's an increase in like bipolar, ADHD, and one other thing that I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but th there is, there's this, I mean, it, things aren't getting better culturally at large, right? When right. it comes to mental health. So one of the things that I would say I, we focus on, so Living Well's approaches, um, Unique to this area, I know there are places uh, on the West Coast that really focus in this way, East Coast focus in this way, maybe Colorado. But we're pretty unique in the sense that we really are focused. We're, we're trying to be a very, very trauma-informed uh, space, and that is um, from the top down. So uh, the way we operate, we're a holistic and integrative uh, site. So we have counselors on our team. We have massage therapists on our team. We have yoga instructors on our team we have health coaches on our team but even our front our front desk people i mean the whole team is being trained to be 
trauma informed. And yeah. when you look inside of our counseling team, we are looking at three things constantly. Uh, we're looking at trauma, the impact of trauma on, on people. We're looking at attachment and we're looking at nervous system functioning. And so mm -hmm. I would say what we're trying to do at all times is, is to your point is really assess for, man, when I, on a day-to-day -day basis, how is my nervous system functioning? Am mm -hmm. I in right. sympathetic? Am I in dorsal? Am I, you know, my fight, flight, freeze? And they've right. added a bunch of more uh, fancy terms in there. Yeah. yeah like fawn and fatigue. And there's all these other words are added yeah. into it now, but fight, flight, freeze, right? Um, we're looking at attachment. And did I, did I get the tools from my family, from my parents to learn how to regulate my nervous system to, to self-soothe or to even, even co-regulate with other people? Mm -hmm. um, and then even trauma, the impact that the trauma has had in my life. And so really we're looking at all three of those things to help assess for safety. And then based on what we're hearing, what we try to do as best as we can is provide them very practical tools and resources for nervous system regulation. While also for me, at least the way I handle kind of the situations you're talking about is I just try to help people find that one person. Yep. Like, who is that one person that if you thought out of all the people in the world was going to be the safest person for you to go share this information with outside of the counseling office, right? Especially when I hear that phrase. Yeah, that's really good. Knows this. We just try to find one and then, and then we role play it or we kind of just hypothetically go through it. Hey, what would it, what would it look like? How would mm -hmm. you share with them? When would you share with them? Where would you mm -hmm. share with them? Yeah. How do you think they would respond if you said this and this to them? Um, and I would say 99 times out of a hundred, when we find that one person that might, you know, the, the client has found that can be safe, most of the time it actually goes fairly well, right? They, they come back and go, I told them and they were gracious or they were compassionate or they were kind, or they didn't really say much at all. They just said that they accepted me and forget, you know, understood that I needed forgiveness and prayed with me. And they're, so right. that, that's, that's at least my kind of way of going about that is like, can we just find one? Right. Um, yeah. Because uh, so many of my clients, I would say the largest population of my clients are believers or claim to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I just think about how sad and isolating it is to be walking into a church every Sunday and thinking to yourself, I'm all, I'm all alone. No yep. one gets this problem. Right. Um, so we can just find one. Then it goes, OK, now I'm not so I'm not so alone anymore. Absolutely. Well, and we know that breaking off that isolation is it already statistically lowers their risk mm -hmm. for further mental health issues. Right. right? Um, just by breaking off that isolation alone, just one person, yeah. it only takes attaching in a healthy way or co-regulating, however we would call that mm -hmm. with another human being to significantly lower the risk factors. And one of the things that we're really, really working on uh, in our leadership team at church is really creating a healthy pastoral atmosphere where we're not just reaching for spiritual tools. When somebody comes to us and is saying that they're hurting, they're struggling with their mental health. They're having trouble getting out of bed in the mornings. They're wrestling with anxiety. Um, and, and not just offering mm. that one solution, which is prayer, which prayer is powerful. I am not sure. You'll never hear me say that it's not, but I'm just saying that we miss a huge opportunity to actually come alongside people 
and be a source of like compassionate under be Jesus to them, Mm -hmm. essentially not be their savior, but be that compassionate presence that creates safety for them to then be able to connect with God. Because the thing is, is that when we're suffering and we're crying out to God for help and we're not getting the help that we need, maybe he's not taking away our depression or our anxiety or our fear or our financial struggle or whatever, we have to then be able to connect with somebody else in order to make that leap back to God and say, okay, God is coming. Do you see what I'm saying? There's like Mm -hmm. this hope cycle that has to happen. And I think sometimes as pastors, sometimes by the sheer burden that we're carrying of pastoring all the people, right? We can very easily bypass that process of just being there for somebody and just listening and just validating and saying, Mm -hmm. you know what, this is really hard. This is really, really hard. Let me help connect you with somebody that can help you um, because you're not alone. And um, and I think that it that ideally would take some of the suffering out of it. I know that it has for me when I'm already feeling disconnected from God. I'm already feeling lonely. I'm already feeling like maybe I'm a failure because I'm struggling with this thing again um, and I don't know how to fix it now. Right. For whatever reason. And that's a really hard place to be. Have you have you read a, a attach? Oh, was it? Oh gosh, is it attached to God? Uh, Crispin Mayfield. No. He, he basically says, "Hey, here's here's attachment styles. Here's you know here's kind of the secular model of what attachment looks like." Mm-hmm. And he he describe he uses different language. I think just to put his own spin on it. But here, sure. here are the different attachment styles that we are we are given or that we you know uh, take on as as a result of our family of origin that experience. And then he talks about the translation from there to our relationship with God Mm -hmm. uh, and talks about how even our attachment from our family of origin impacts our relationship with God and then provides some real practical, you know, uh, thoughts on how to begin to attach more securely to God himself. Right. Uh, There's a, uh, one of our uh, counselor across town, a buddy of mine, his name is Zach. Zach has this uh, concept of God worksheet he takes clients that I've been using it with some of mine. It It's pretty interesting to begin to read some very open-ended questions about people's view of God and mm-hmm. to hear over and over again, like, Hey, I know the Bible says God loves me, but I don't even know if God like likes me. Likes me. Right? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not sure if, if God really does pay attention to me and, and then what we do is we take that same worksheet and we we just change some of the words. So instead of we're asking those questions about God, I'm asking it about a, a mom or a dad. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it matches. Those themes are mm-hmm. matching all the way down the worksheet. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. And I I would fully agree. I mean, attachment is everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not everything, but it's everything. Like it yep. can tell you so much about a person. And I can't even tell you how many times we have somebody coming in for inner healing prayer, because they are feeling disconnected from God, or maybe they're dealing with, you know, torment or uh, whatever nightmares, trauma. I mean, there's trauma in all of it. Right. And um, I've trained my team. It's not our job to fix the person. That's not our job. My job, our job is to be present. Our job is to facilitate connection with God. However, we need to do that for the person. And so much of it, you know, does come down to that attachment piece of, you know, they're believing lies about themselves that are perpetuating suffering and pain Mm -hmm. and depression and all these different things that when we get to the root of 
why they're believing that it often comes down to needs that have never been met. And, and a lot of times, you know, I do end up referring them, you know, and saying, Hey, you know, we got this amazing connection with God established. We've prayed through some really big stuff, but now like there's some things that you're going to have to work out like with a counselor, like there are life skills that we then have to learn. Right. And that's not something we can necessarily do or fix or change. But I think, Gosh, I think if I, I'm assuming that you would feel the same way, but I feel like if every pastor, every leader could really understand nervous system function, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number one, that would change how we care for the people in front of us. Sure. Hands down. I have zero doubt about that, but it would change how we show up in terms of, am I regulated enough to pastor today? Am I regulated yeah. enough to take on this assignment? Uh, am I regulated enough to say no mm-hmm. to a boundary? Right. Um, but so many of us haven't actually learned how to tune that in because I don't know, maybe we feel like the body is bad. Um, I know that some people still view the body as like a secondary, it's mm-hmm. not as important as the spirit, but the spirit can't actually function without the body. So you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's, I think that if we could really grasp this, it would really, uh, it would keep us from harming ourselves and other people. I'm not talking about physically harming, but like emotionally, the ways that we spiritually bypass people um, and, you know, add to their already suffering place. You know, we don't want to add to that. We're meant to care for the sheep and, um, and love them the way that Christ loved them. And, and I don't feel like we can do that fully unless we are, you know, we're working on ourselves too. A hundred percent. And, you know, just as someone who was on staff for so long, I mean, I I can count on one hand the number of conversations that a lead pastor in any place was talking through mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health, right? It Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. primarily just the spiritual side. And even in my my last role, um, one of the messages I think we heard as a team, and this is like, this was, uh, we had just seen a, uh, leader, a change in leadership at our church. COVID happened. Mm-hmm. The message I think most of us took away from most meetings was was power through. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yep. You should take care of yourself and power through. And it's like, yeah. okay, but I'm I'm over here like just trying to survive the day. Yeah. Powering right. through is only going to make it worse, right? And, and yeah. a couple of us started kind of sounding an alarm of like, Hey, I think our mm. team is struggling. I think our team is exhausted. Yep. I think our team is use the word burned burned out. How do yep. we help our people, our our staff, and then you know? And I think the trickle down effect is that it goes to the congregation. How do we, to your point, how do we help them really engage themselves, mind, body, and soul? Yep, uh, right. And that's that's our motto at Living Well is, man, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking at every single person through the lens of mind, body, soul. Yep. And so what do they need in a given moment based on nervous system, based on where they're at spiritually, based on where they're at physically, right? And that's even where, like where Aaron, my wife, comes in with nutrition. Yes. I mean, just really holistically looking at every aspect of the person. And research is showing, this is why I love where I'm at. Research is showing, right, that if we just do a top-down approach to mental health, that is, you know, kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, using our brains, changing our beliefs, and or medication, right? That the chances of us actually getting the healing we're looking for, uh, they're not the, the percentage is not very high. 
Right. You will oftentimes find yourself back in counseling for the same exact things you came in for initially. Right. But this holistic or when you combine a top-down approach with a bottom-up approach, which is more about body and soul and everything else combined, and we're doing we're doing trauma uh, therapy and we're doing massages, the chances of people seeing real change and not needing to come back, the numbers skyrocket. And so, right. Uh, but churches need that too. Like, how do we really right. help our people focus on every area of, of who they are? Absolutely. Do you feel like, I'm just curious from your perspective, because I've been chewing on this for a while and I'm still trying to understand the dynamic. I think it's fear that sometimes keeps, you know, pastors and leaders from really wanting to engage in this conversation. We're afraid that if we acknowledge I think I'm just going to speak for myself. I'll speak Mm -hmm. for myself and you can tell me what you think as an observation, because I don't want to put my words on other people or what I think they're thinking. Um, I think that there is a fear that if we acknowledge that mental health issues are not always demonic, right? Which Mm -hmm. is sometimes where we go and it's it's not always spiritual, um, that it's a whole world. We don't feel capable of pastoring and understanding. Like it's this overwhelm, right? Mm -hmm. And then we just shut down and say, the only tools I'm comfortable with are using spiritual tools, which is fair. But at the same time, I feel like with the information that we have now, uh, we, we are kind of at a place where we're without excuse as pastors to not be talking about these things Mm -hmm. and not be gaining better tools. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like, what do you think is the, the reason why we avoid um, having these more meaningful conversations or even just acknowledging like that mental illness happens and we can't always fix it with prayer. Yeah. So this is another, uh, another conversation we just had with our team Um, again, based on me coming on here, I just was trying to be collaborative with them. Um, so one of the people on our team, one of their thoughts with this question was, uh, well, sometimes pastors lack the emotional intelligence to have these conversations, right? All they've been trained Mm -hmm. in is theology. All they, and, uh, I don't think that's a bad thing, but they've been trained in theology, theology alone, um, uh, or even just personality wise, don't know how to engage that on their own. So I think that's one. I think the other one uh, really goes along with what you're saying. I do think it's a fear. And I think it's possibly a two-folded uh, idea. One, I think you have pastors who have experienced trauma mm-hmm. that are afraid to go there, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. anytime, and this is where, again, with that top-down approach uh, isn't as useful, if all I do is talk about it, all I've done is just opened up every trauma box from my life. Right. And now I have to deal with the ramifications of my nervous system being a mess or, or feeling yep. anxious or feeling depressed. Right. The other side of that, I think this, the other fear is I don't know what this experience is like. And so I, if I bring it up, then what? Um, yep. And so I, I think there can be fear from multiple levels on how, on how to handle it for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, this is not a, I'm, this is not a judgment in the conversation. I'm more, it's a curious observation that I've had because I feel like our fear, you know, if, if we choose to stay in that place of fear, meaning I'm not going to touch this, I'm not going to learn about it. I'm not going to have conversations about it. We 
actually have given, like we've given place to powerlessness, right? In, in terms of like, maybe God actually has keys and strategies and tools that he wants the body of Christ to learn so that we can actually uh, be an answer that maybe counseling alone, right? Or medication alone isn't going to fix it. And so like, how can we insert God into the equation if we're not willing to talk about the equation? Sure. And which is that, you know, that sometimes God doesn't supernaturally heal us from depression or anxiety. There are right. things that we have to deal with, walk through, persevere through. And there are counselors like you, there are, you know, neurofeedback technicians, there are EMDR specialists that, um, that do have the tools. Mm -hmm. And yet I think by our unwillingness at times or our fear, or whatever, all the different reasons that can happen yeah. to have that conversation, we've kind of forced people in the body to go looking elsewhere mm -hmm. when we could be the answer. And that yeah. makes, that makes me really, really sad mm -hmm. um, because I do, I do hear that a fair amount when people come in, I'm, I'm afraid to talk about it. If, you know, I've told my mom and she just says it's a demon, like how damaging sure. is that? If it's not, if that's not actually what's happening, like how, how much are we further isolating people? That's a big concern that I have. Um, not that we can fix all of the problems, but it, it is a concern. Um, it is a concern that I see. And so I think even just developing that self-awareness to say, why am I resisting this conversation? Why does it make me uncomfortable? Right. And to kind of sit in that place, it, it's a skill that we have to learn for sure. Yeah. Cause the reality is that, that I would say, a very high percentage of people in your congregation, you know, pastor's congregation have experienced or will experience some sort of trauma, whether that's a big T trauma or a little T trauma, right? Which are yep. just, we define those as like acutely stressful situations. Versus chronically, yeah. Yeah, and and mm. and really when it comes to trauma, I mean, perception is everything, right? Yep. It goes back to what you're saying earlier too, like, um. The traumas that I have, again, big T or little t, I have adopted, usually I've adopted some sort of negative belief about myself or the world or people based on that experience. And I'm yeah. living with that kind of underneath the surface on a day-to-day -day basis. And right. does God uh, show up and miraculously heal people from those wounds or from those lies? Absolutely. Um but I also think there's room for other tools and resources to say, hey, let's let's change that negative belief to something positive. And not just that you can believe it cognitively, but that like yep. your body even, your nervous system even responds differently right. based on your healing. And now you don't have to walk into a room and automatically go into fight or flight based on who's present or what the vibe is or you know whatever scenario we're in. Yeah, um, and so I do. I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There, there can be a both and, and it's all good stuff. It's all right. healthy. Absolutely. Yep. And and yeah, and it takes the shame out of it too. I think when we can oh normalize the fact that all of us are going to ebb and flow along a spectrum to a certain degree mm -hmm. with our, our mental health is a part of us, whether we like it or not. And it's going to ebb and flow along a spectrum, given certain amounts of pressure, stressors, traumas, like, you know what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. I think if we can normalize that and say, hey, this is how I'm prioritizing my mental health as a leader, 
Um, I'm working on my nervous system. I'm working on making sure I don't have gut infections anymore that are causing truckloads of inflammation to flood my body and my neurotransmitter space. Right. Mm. Um, and it's not all a spiritual issue and God still wants to meet with me along this spectrum process, whatever I'm struggling with. And sometimes he's going to use a counselor or whatever to do that. But I think, you know, I think having the conversation and normalizing that all of us are going to struggle with a dysregulated nervous system at one point or another, Mm -hmm. and it's going to look like X, Y, or Z. And when it looks like this, that means I'm in fight. When it looks like this, I'm in flight mode. Uh, I tend to fawn. That's kind of, I I used to, I don't anymore. (laughs) I'm not a fawner anymore. I'm not the goat that just like falls over anymore. But um, (laughs) I've worked really hard for that. But at the same time, like normalizing that this is how God wired our bodies. And it's Mm -hmm. amazing and Mm -hmm. beautiful. And it's not something that we need to be afraid of. Um, I think that that allows us to step away from that powerless place to I'm going to engage with God and other people from a place of continual healing and not just a place of it's either this or that, which really isn't serving anybody. So, yeah, I loved what you said about um, helping, you know, helping the pastors to see like, where, you know, where I forget how you worded it. I'd have to go back and listen, but where they're struggling in different areas and how that's impacting our pastoral care. And I think the more that we have conversations like this, the less ashamed we're going to feel as leaders to say, Hey, I need to work on some stuff. I'm not okay with the load that I'm carrying Mm -hmm. because there's some things going on in my internal world. And I think if we can normalize that as a church culture, um, it allows us to better care for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say too, like to normalize in ministry settings in particular, what I'm thinking through is to normalize that having boundaries is okay and healthy. Yep. Right. I mean, so many people and pastors, even that I've seen, I, I, I've got a big heart for, um, for pastors in general and have, especially my first two years here, uh, really focused in on that population. Um, I can't count the number of, of lunches I've had with a local staff member just to go, Hey, like, how can I support you yeah. as you're doing what you do? Because so many of them are just taking it all on and, and powering through. And it's going, I'm going, Hey, like you got to be able to set up some boundaries in your life that it's okay to say no, but there is this, right you know, consistent, intense pressure to please and to, to make everyone happy and to do, you know, to be a yes man. And it's like, man, that's why, that's why you're burning out. That's why it's why they leave their jobs within two years. Yep. Um, Cause they're burned out. They're stressed out. They're, they're struggling with anxiety and depression. I don't have words for it. Um, Right. uh, Just no, I don't, they don't feel right. And, um, and so when we're doing that again, Kind of what we talked about earlier is like, how do you come back and go, here are the tools and resources I have to take care of myself as a pastor. And now I'm teaching these to my congregation members and going, here's how we take care of ourselves. Right. Um, man, I think it would just normalize the mental health pursuit. Uh, Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And I think even too, when I'm saying the word normalize, I know that people are going to cringe when I say that because I'm not saying... I'm not saying accept a negative thing as a permanent thing. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is normalize the fact that God made us human for a reason. Mm -hmm. 
and that Jesus himself was human for a reason. Like there, there is a reason for that. If he wanted you to be superhuman as a pastor, he would have created you that way, but he didn't. (laughs) And, and so how can we effectively teach those that we're called to serve and cover and protect to take care of themselves? If we're not doing that too, like, it doesn't work both ways. Like mm-hmm. we have, we have to do the hard work. So, um, gosh, I'm trying to figure out how we want to end this. Cause I feel like I could just talk all day with you about this. <laughs> um, well, let's how about any parting thoughts that you want to share? Maybe we'll, we'll go there. If there's anything else that you wanted to tackle before we close up today. Uh, nothing major. I, I think, you know, yeah, you, maybe we're overusing that word now, but to just normalize that, all of us based on our nervous system every single day are walking through fight, flight, or freeze literally throughout the entire day. Right. It's like, as I drive to work, my nervous system is functioning to keep me safe. And I, I think there is a level of appreciation for God's design. I think it's protective in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways, right. It's to keep me safe. It's to help me survive. It's to help me to get through life. And, and I'm going to operate, differently based on that. I talked to our men last week at our church about anger. I was telling them, mm-hmm. I think anger in most cases is protective. hundred percent. Yeah. So to really appreciate God's design and, and what happens is sometimes I stay in those states a little too long and that's where anxiety really kicks in or that's when depression mm-hmm. really kicks in. Right. And so then to say, Hey, this is a, this is a part of the human experience. This is how God's designed us. This is how we operate based on that. How do I incorporate spiritual disciplines? I, I love, um, especially for pastors, I love uh, uh, Pete Scazzaro. Um, okay. Uh, the Emotionally Healthy Leader is a book that he wrote mm, um, that yeah. I think is really practical mm-hmm. for pastors and people uh, in ministry. Uh, he really focuses in on the importance of being an emotionally healthy, a spiritually healthy leader. But just to normalize, hey, these are the spiritual things I'm going to pursue when I'm feeling these ways. And to normalize that I might have some tools and resources outside of the spiritual realm that I I would say are also spiritual because they are helping because it's because my body soul is so intricately connected that when I do take care of myself physically, I'm impacting how healthy I'm spiritually. When I do take care of myself 100%. emotionally, I'm impacting how I how I am physically. And so it all works together. Right. Uh, and so for me to pursue health in any of those ways is only going to make me better as a whole person. Absolutely. I love that you address that because I think we, I think sometimes as a church, we view like our spirit man, our soul man, and our physical person as three distinct and separate parts. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that you even actually, um, I think the story of Elijah is a really powerful example of this when he, he uh, defeats the the prophets of Baal mm-hmm. and then he flees to the wilderness, right? He probably was like in flight freeze mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of both, sure. like, get yeah. me the heck yeah. out of here. This was a crazy experience yeah. and he wants to die, right? He's hopeless. He's filled with dread. And, um, and then an angel comes to him and, and feeds him. And he says, if you don't eat, if right. you don't rest, you will not survive this. And I think that that is a beautiful example mm-hmm. to me of how God doesn't just call us to a spiritual leadership. He calls us to tending to our physical bodies and our emotions because it does feed into our spirit, man. I know that there have been times where 
the Lord kept leading me to taking care of my body in a certain way so that I could be spiritually strong. And it was not, and I I had to really let go of that powering through mentality that I had that I didn't even know was so deeply ingrained in me. Just push through. You just got to do all the things. God kind of had to strip me of that. And it was a hard, not fun place to be. Uh, But now on the other side of it, I'm so thankful that he did because it's actually led me to be, you know, strong in a different kind of way. So I love that you address that. I loved, I wrote down all the books that you mentioned and I'll make sure to put that um, in the show notes as well. Cause that, that those are some really good resources. Um, Well, I want to honor your time today, but thank you for taking the time to be on here with me and talk to our listeners um, about just spiritually healthy leadership, mental health stuff. I'm sure we'll have you on again to maybe dive into some more topic specific things in this area, but thank you for your time today. Would love that. Thank you very much.